Welcome back into another edition of the Lockdown Podcast. I'm George Sedano, and today we're joined by my friend Nick Friedel, who covers the Brooklyn Nets and the NBA at large here at ESPN. And obviously the Nets have been a story all season long, all off season long, and continue to be a story. Nick, you're getting, they're getting your money's worth or their money's worth out of you for sure this season. George, I feel like since the plane touched down in New York a year ago, because I've only been around this team a year, it just hasn't stopped. And in my career, I've never seen a team like this that has the highest of highs, the lowest of lows, everything in the middle. They they never stop with something interesting. And for what we do, we can't ask for something more than that. Yeah, it's pretty wild. All right, let's get right into the latest situation, which is Kevin Durant gets hurt in Miami. Jimmy Butler just kind of accidentally falls into his knee. It looked bad initially. He then leaves the game, never comes back. And we find out yesterday via our reporting with Woj and you guys that Kevin Durant will likely miss a month. Considering how hot they were, what is the kind of, I guess, state of the team knowing that Kevin will be out for a month? Well, first and foremost, George, it's just relief. Because you and I both know that could have been way worse. And if Kevin goes out for an extended period of time, couple months of the rest of the year that's it I mean it is over because this is the guy who arguably right now today could be the MVP he's been that good that consistently all season so after you get over the relief of okay it's not that bad they do expect him back at some point here in the near future what happens next and this is where the Nets are going to have some issues, I think, because we saw what happened last year. And when they had Kyrie on the road, they still had James Harden. And that team just kind of went in the tank. They could not find any rhythm without Kevin on the floor. The hope is defensively, they've been better, certainly recently. The hope is that with TJ Warren, who's been very solid off the bench, he comes in, maybe plays a few more minutes. Joe Harris has gotten rolling after a really slow start offensively with Kyrie, they should be all right. But the, George, the guy I think is going to have a huge spotlight on him is Ben Simmons. Because Simmons, with Kevin and Kyrie on the floor, has just kind of been in the background. He's been solid defensively. They haven't needed him to do much offensively. When you take Kevin Durant off of this team for a month or six weeks, however long it ends up being, Simmons is going to have to do a little bit more on both ends. And I thought it was Harris who made a really good point after that Miami game. He said, look, everybody focuses on Kevin as this offensive superpower, which he is. He's dropping 30 a night. Kevin defensively this year has been really, really good. You take him out of what they're doing, somebody and several somebodies are going to have to step up. And I think Simmons is going to have to do more on the defensive end, and he's going to at least have to get the offense moving a little more than what we've seen today. All right, let's get to Simmons in a second. Let's focus more on Durant and particularly the defense that you've been talking about because I haven't seen him play defense like this since the Golden State days, which you also covered when he was there. And that's when we really saw – Kevin Durant was always a good defender, but we saw him take it to a different level at Golden State because, honestly, it was needed, right? They were kind of an undersized team, so they needed his length. They needed his ability to guard on the ball – And we've seen that for the first time, I think, with regularity in Brooklyn this coming season. Was that something that 
he just decided, hey, this is what we need and I'm going to do it because I'm a superstar and I'm one of the best players on the planet. Was Jacques Vaughn involved in this conversation? Like, how did we get to this point where Kevin Durant not only was putting up MVP numbers on offense, but being an MVP on defense too? I think a broader, from a broader standpoint, George, when Kevin decided that he was going to come back and that he pulled the trade request and said, all right, I'm in. In, in talking to him, I've gotten the sense that he was just like, I'm going to try to be the best possible player that I can be. And you and I have talked to Kevin a long time. We've covered him a long time. Kevin saw all the criticism. <laughs> and it wasn't just defensively. It was people saying, oh, he's got four years left on this deal. He can't be that same player for that long. He knew how good he could be from an all-around standpoint. For my money, and I had him that last year in Oakland when he was with the Warriors when he – he injured his Achilles in the finals there. George, this is the best I've ever seen him play top to bottom because of that defensive element. He, to me, just said, all right, I'm going to do everything I can to help this team. I think Vaughn deserves credit in this sense. Things were sliding completely off the tracks at the beginning of the season. There were a variety of reasons for that, notably the stuff going on with, with Kyrie and his social media posts. They make the coaching change. What Vaughn has done, and I think this speaks to the elevation with Kevin and a lot of other guys on the roster, Vaughn has come in and said, hey, guys, look, I just want you to focus on the 30 or 35 minutes you're on the floor. George, in all my years doing this, I've never seen a team that is now practicing less, shooting around less. Guys may go in on an off day and get some shots up or watch some tape, but this team does not have formal interactions the way that so many others across the league uh, have done so Vaughn knew that Kevin was playing a lot of minutes and he said I want you to just focus on your minutes on the floor and not worry about anything else so I think that ability to just kind of push forward with Kevin saying to himself hey I can show everybody I'm still a hell of a defender when I want to be is all part of the reason that his game has gotten to the point that it's gotten so far this year how bad did it get with Nash when you look back I don't think there was ever a specific tipping point. I don't think there was ever, oh, man, guys are just completely tuning him out. What you see from before and after the changes, I think it is fair to say that Steve's voice is just kind of worn thin. And all the extra drama that had surrounded this team for the last couple of years was just overwhelming, I think, to the players. I think to Nash, I think thought, I think that has gotten lost in the conversation of all this. I think Nash was sitting there going, oh, my gosh, like this is, this is just crazy. Every day there's something yeah. besides the game. But uh, as far as what happened and why the change, George, I, like I think after three years, the, the message just wasn't getting across. But uh, I, I would also say this, in the beginning – of Nash's tenure with the Nets, all anybody said was, oh, man, this offense is rolling. <laughs> like, Nash has brought a whole new element. He's so positive. He's keeping guys uh, where they need to be on the floor. Everything is clicking. And between injuries and inconsistencies and the stuff going on last year with Kyrie and the vaccination decision, a lot of things just went a different direction. But it is fascinating to me, having watched the end of last year and now the beginning of this year, what they're saying about Nash and what they said at the beginning – same stuff they were saying. They're saying about Vaughn now. Hey, he's very yeah. professional. He's a yeah. player's coach. He's 
he keeps things positive. He's trying to keep things light. Uh, again, in conversations with several of the players, Vaughn compared to Nash, it seems like Jock is very hands-on. Like, this is what we need to do. This is how we have to practice. I think Nash was kind of like, all right, like, I'm going to let the players kind of control uh, where they need to be and, and what needs to happen. But uh, that's all well and good in December and January, George. Let's see what happens in the postseason. And this is where Nash had his struggles not being able, and injuries were a huge part of that, getting over the hump. Let's see what happens now. Durant goes down. How does everybody respond? I, I just hesitate to, to give way too much praise right now because, frankly, the Nets are in the exact same place this year that they were in last year when Kevin went down and they had to recalibrate what they were doing on the fly. Yeah, the stuff I heard from Nat about Nash was that was that like even the front office was imploring him to be like hey you probably need to be a little more active in the coaching aspect of this thing um because it's going to be slipping through your hands and that is indeed what actually ended up happening all right so let's let's focus on Simmons because you brought him up and I do want to get to the Kyrie portion of this in a second as well but with Ben Simmons where have you seen growth where have you seen stagnation? Where have you seen regression? Growth in getting to the rim. George, in the first month of the season, he wanted no part of going to the basket. He wouldn't even look at the basket. He did not want to force the action into uh, taking shots near the rim, uh, in large part because uh, I don't think he wanted to get fouled. He didn't want to go to the free throw line. He didn't want that whole uh, aspect of the game popping back up. After the first month, he's been better about that. What I would tell you in the last few weeks is there's been a stagnation in, eh, I don't want to go to the foul line. I mean, he's he's just not going to the free throw line. And again, when you're playing with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, that's fine right now. We're in January. Things are clicking. Cool. That is not going to be okay once the playoffs start. And that is not going to be okay once teams start throwing out the hack of Ben foul strategy again because you and I both know it's going to be there when the games are are way more important so uh, as far as a regression I, I hesitate to say he's regressed offensively because the bar wasn't that high to begin with he wasn't really asked to do much and he wasn't really doing much because he's playing with two of the most uh, capable offensive players in NBA history on his team so again that's why I'm concerned if you're a Nets fan about what Simmons is giving you in the next month offensively because he's going to have to do a little bit more without Kevin on the floor. The thing that, that is noticeable, though, is that Ben has been able to kind of be in the shadows with this group. George, there are times that Ben Simmons isn't speaking to the media after games, and that's not because he's, like, declining. It's just because we're waiting to talk to Kevin and Kyrie and Ben can kind of just slide out or, or say, you know, to the PR person, hey, you guys need me? And they can say, nope, we're good tonight. The spotlight isn't there. So what happens when the spotlight is there? That's one of the questions that he's going to have to answer. But that is a far cry from where he was in Philly, as we know with Embiid, and how that whole thing ended. So he has not been the player they have wanted him to be to this point. I'd say that he is trying to grow and feel more comfortable after being off a year and, and shaking off all the rust that comes with that. But uh, he has got to take a big step here between now and April if the Nets genuinely 
feel like they can make a push in the East. Okay, let's get to Kyrie now. So Kyrie's been incredible during this season in regards to his output. Um, I know you and him certainly had your infamous back and forth uh, this season. You've had numerous uh, occasions where you've gone back and forth with him. Uh, I just want to know this, because at the beginning of the season, I felt like he was trying to put his arm around you a little bit, and you as well, and then that went south very quickly. Where Where is your relationship with Kyrie at the moment? Uh, we don't speak anymore, George. Uh, okay. Uh, professionally, I, I give Kyrie this. When I ask a question on a press conference, he answers the question. But right. as far as any conversation off the floor, that doesn't exist. And sadly, I, I had kind of enjoyed our conversations up to that point in the preseason, early in the regular season. But I'm just doing my job. He feels yeah. like he's just doing his job. And and as far as, as anything other than whatever you see at that podium, there is nothing else right now. Come on, Kyrie. Let's just, you know what? Let's just all make amends. Let's go. Come on, Kyrie. All right. Let's talk about Kyrie on the floor. Enough of that. Um, so Kyrie on the floor, um, obviously incredible. He's back to being the guy that we expected him to be. And, and he's kind of always been when he, for the most part, when he's been available. Um, is he capable, though? Because you talked about Simmons being uh, a big part of this, maybe even some of the others, TJ Warren, et cetera, which we'll touch on after this. but. Where is the load on Kyrie here? Like, what is his, I guess, attitude about uh, Kevin being down and what his responsibilities are here moving forward? He knows that he's going to have to take on even more. And, George, I would point to a specific moment in each one of these games where I think you're going to notice a big difference, and we're going to see how much growth and trust, frankly, Kyrie has in the rest of his teammates. If the Nets had been in a close game over the last six weeks or so, and, and first and foremost, Kyrie has been awesome. It's worth pointing out over and over. Since he came back from the suspension, Kevin's been the MVP. Kyrie has been almost as good when they've needed him to be. The issue, though, is at the end of these games when they're close, it's either Kyrie or Kevin. One guy takes a shot the next time down the floor, the other guy takes a shot. So they're taking turns is basically that, what you're saying. That's exactly it. Yeah. So now – without Kevin for however long he ends up being out. What does Kyrie do? Does he just run down the floor and take another shot? Or does he mix in some passes and try to get other guys involved? Well, that that's fascinating you say that because if you look at the way that Miami game ended, right, Kyrie took what I thought was somewhat of an ill-advised shot uh, with nine seconds to go, and it just right place, right time, where Watanabe and Royce O'Neal and everybody just, mm -hmm. <laughs> Kyle Lowry and all these guys just collided, <laughs> and Royce O'Neal ended up with the ball and the putback. Um, so it, it seems like, at least for one game, we may have that answer. Now, that doesn't mean that can evolve, but I would think for them to have relative success, those other guys have to at least be viable options in those scenarios. You would think in order for them to find ways to win at the end of games, George, especially with the double teams that are now likely coming in Kyrie's future, because Kevin's not there, somebody else would have to help. Uh, but I tell you this, again, in listening, not only to what's happened in the last couple of days, but go back to last season, his teammates trust him to take those shots Yeah, late in games. Can he do that when he's got a lot of bodies coming at him all the time? We're going to see, and we're also going to see, and this is a fascinating part to me day to day, 
just how much trust he's earned with Jacques Vaughn. Because, George, we saw it. There were times, certainly last year and, and a few times this year before the change was made, Steve Nash would be out there calling out some play, and Kyrie's like, nah, I got it. <laughs> so so what happens now when, when Jacques is sitting there going, hey, we're going to run this, we're going to do this. Does Kyrie run whatever the action is, or does he say, no, 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 I'm good? Right. And- well, I will say this. In Kyrie's defense here from a basketball perspective, uh, you know, over 20-some-odd years that I've been doing this, I've seen a lot of star players wave off their coach, including Hall of Fame coaches. <laughs> so he wouldn't be the first or the last to do that kind of stuff. But to your point, I think that um, I think that, you know, there there's going to be a time where – if it goes south, that he's going to take an enormous amount of blame in those scenarios. And the coach, honestly, unfairly will take some blame because like, well, you can't get your player to do what you want him to do, right? Like, so it's a lose-lose scenario for both if that indeed ends up happening and it doesn't go well in those spots. The thing that I think helps the Nets, George, right now is they have gotten contributions from so many other guys offensively in this run where they've rattled off 18 out of 20 wins. TJ Warren has been very good. Uh, we talked about Harris a little bit. Seth Curry, we know, can shoot the hell out of the ball from the outside. Watanabe, Claxton yeah. has been really, really solid down low. Watanabe, George, if that guy's open in the corner, it's going in. And yeah. for whatever reason, it's not going in on that shot. It's going in on the next one for sure. So there are weapons in different areas. But again... Everybody understands how this game is won usually night after night, and it's because your stars show up and make the big buckets. You take Kevin out, and you have the schedule flip the way that it has. they got a big road trip coming up uh, in about a week here. They start in Texas and in California, then go to Philly for a game. It's not the easy teams that they've been rolling past over the last six weeks or so. That's the way the schedule works. That's what presents uh, in front of them, and they've taken care of business. But that is a worrisome aspect of the timing of Durant's injury and how long he's scheduled to be out. All right, a couple quick ones on the way out here, Nick Friedown. Thank you for your time. Um, With Kevin out for a month, right now, where are they? The three? Are they the two-seed or three-seed right now? Hold on, let me know. I believe they're the two. Okay. As of this taping, they are the two-seed at 27 and 13. In a month, where are they? I would guess they're probably like five or six. I watched too many of those games last year, George, when you take Kevin out of the lineup, even though I think they are more equipped right now to handle Kevin out than they were at this time a year ago. And certainly having Simmons there when they had nothing after they made that Harden deal, that's going to help them. But the schedule turns. And I just don't believe that the defense can hold up the same way without him on the floor on top of the 30 points or so he's giving you every night. Okay, let's say Kevin comes back healthy and they are the five or six seed or whatever. Can they get out of the East? If we were going to the window right now, I would still tell you that it's Boston and Milwaukee who are a cut above this team. Part of the reason I feel so strongly about that even now is because everybody is all hopped up on the Nets winning all these games, but I would look at the schedule and say, hey, they beat a ton of bad teams or a ton of teams 
that were okay, but were missing some of their key players. I look at that New Orleans game from last week that was on our air. They're missing Zion and Brandon Ingram. Yeah. To the Nets' credit, they found a way to win, and they have done so over and over. But if you face a healthy team, for as good as the Nets look, I just don't think they can get all the way through because I think Boston and Milwaukee with Giannis and Tatum at the forefront have the experience together in those bigger situations that this group just doesn't have yet. All right, last one. Now we're fast forwarding to the off season. Where are Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? <laughs> I mean, you and I might as well be sitting on NBA today. Just we can like file footage what we're talking about now and just throw it in there in uh, you know five months. I, oh, so much of it depends on how the end of this season plays sure. out. Yeah. I would throw this point at you though, Blake, and it makes a lot of sense as far as the future goes for the Nets and, and for Kyrie in this case specifically. Kyrie could go elsewhere. There's been so much chatter about the Lakers for so long. But George, if he leaves, the Nets lose that slot. They can't fill it. I talked to our colleague Bobby Marks a couple of weeks ago. said, what happens if Kyrie walks, Kevin stays? And he said, well, they're out of the luxury tax. But the follow-up, of course, is, well, then how do they get better? And the answer is, uh, they're, they're, I don't know. Uh, you know, they got the mid-level. <laughs> I mean, good luck with, with that. So for as I thought this divorce was going to be done. I thought Kyrie would play out the next few months and it would be over because they have won and they've won at such a high clip and he has been focused on basketball and has not provided a distraction off the floor. I think there is a solid chance that they could say, all right, let's run it back again. But here, this is a question that I'd leave you with, and I think this answers everything. The question is, would they be willing to offer him max money right. and a long extension? Or would they say, hey, we'll give you a couple years. We, we like the way that this season ended. Let's see what happens. If he doesn't want that, George, and he wants max money elsewhere or wants more security, maybe he does land in L.A. Maybe he does land somewhere that can offer him uh, a boatload more. I just don't believe at this stage of his career, let's go to Kevin, that who will, Kevin, who will be 35 in September, is going to look at a team that loses Kyrie and says, eh, you know what? Like, I want to finish in the middle of the East for the next couple seasons yeah. because Simmons, again, is improving, but he's not the player he used to be. And while the Claxtons of the world are improving, they're not the type of guys who are going to take you from one point in the Eastern Conference all the way to another. So, uh, so much of it, as it has since he's been here, hovers around Kyrie Irving, how he finishes the year, and what he wants in the future for his basketball career. It's always something, always something. It's like days of our lives, right? As the hourglass sands through the hourglass, uh, so are the days of our lives. Nick Friedel does a phenomenal job covering <laughs> the NBA at large, and, of course, the Brooklyn Nets for us here at ESPN. Uh, thank you, buddy, for hanging out. I know you got a lot of stuff to do. Appreciate the time, as always. Always, my man. See you soon. All right, that'll do it for the Lockdown Podcast for today. If you're watching on YouTube, smash the like button, subscribe to this channel, and make sure you listen for the audio accompaniment, which is on the Sedano and Cap show uh, thread and podcast uh, thread there so you can subscribe to the audio podcast on Sedona and Cap and then Lockdown will appear there as well all right we'll talk to you soon take care